What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Awake and Sober Podcast, a podcast about life and recovery through Christ. We just want to take a second and thank you for joining us today on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. We just want to thank you for stumbling upon us, if you just stumbled upon us. Uh, we do have a great show for you today. We decided a few weeks ago that uh, our listeners probably needed to know a little bit more about us. So, or at least about a couple of us. About a couple of us, yes. So today is the uh, Derek interview. So <laughs> It's the Derek show. The D show. What's yep. up, everybody? The one without the beard. <laughs> the beardless wonder. The beardless right. wonder, that's right. <laughs> you know what? I and mean, I'm okay with that, so. Are you? I am, actually. Okay. I got too much Mexican and Indian in me. I can't grow a beard to save my life outside of a goatee anyway. So but you I'm have good. a great head of hair, though. I do. It's Thank something you. I, I clearly do not have. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm a little jealous it's, of it. It's thinning a little bit. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, yours? Yeah. I think it, it looks good, though. You need to quit with the comb over. I do. I do. <laughs> comb your beard up over the top. Yes, yeah, I could. I could. Uh, so back on the camera today. Yes, I am. Evo. I guess it's the second week in a row back up here. Uh, you know, it's it, it's interesting. Now I'm feeling a little more comfortable. You know, first time I was like really kind of intimidated. I mean, even though we're all friends, we all talk. and uh, But you put the cameras up, the microphones, and all of a sudden there's that just like, what's going on here? I know all 20 listeners are going <laughs> to. I know. Well, I'll tell you what. If there's only 20, we probably still wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> you know, and then I, li- I get all the stats. Yeah, and then I, and as I listen to it, you know, I'm so critical of myself. I'm like, you know, man, I didn't sound good. I didn't like how I sound, but. Oh, um, we've all been through you that. You definitely thing. sound yeah. better than you look. That's, oh, that's true. I mean, it, it, I mean, I have to sound better than I look. I mean, come on. Yeah, mm. true. True that. Mm. Shane, how you doing, buddy? You know, it's been a roller coaster of a journey recently, but I am well. It is well with my soul. Ever since um, last Sunday. Last Sunday when God wrecked me at church, ever since then, it has been well with my soul. I've been loving life. I can, I can tell the difference. Yeah. I mean, look, getting on new meds, I had to cycle those in and try to figure out being back on meds. And um, there's just a lot to it. So, but it, it was pretty nice to have that done and out of the way. So I feel pretty good. How about you? Good. It's been a good week. Um, I shared with you guys, I picked up my first sponsee today. So that was pretty exciting. I, uh, I had a hand of- clap for that. <laughs> <laughs> It was funny because uh, today I, I felt I felt like I needed a meeting more than I needed church, and it was because there's a, it's something different about a meeting, right? Mm-hmm. It's that spiritual connection, and I just I felt like I went and I did, and this this guy sat down next to me, and he looked like not well, and uh, we just yeah we just hit it off, and then we spent the next three hours at a coffee shop, so it was good. Wow, right sounds like a blast. <clears throat> it was it one was. of those God moments. Definitely was. You're in the right place at the right time. Exactly. God moments at meetings. And he's already That's texting awesome, me. Dude. Like he's already, he's already like checking in and everything. So what um, kind of a, what homework did you give him to start his journey with you? Uh, so he got, I bought him a big book and a 12 and 12. Okay. 12 for AA. Right. Um, oh. So he's going to read, uh, his assignment is to read the doctor's opinion and Bill's story. He's got a defined admitted powerless and, and admitted powerless and unmanageable. He's got to list 10 things he's powerless over, 10 areas of his life that are unmanageable, and then he has to define what um, step one means to him. Nice. See, I'm a fan of homework. Yeah, oh, it's homework. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I love homework. I'm, I have people, I love definitions, obviously. Yes. Um, I know it's, it's shocking to most, um, but I love definitions and what it meant to me before and what it means to me now since I've been in recovery. It's just not enough sponsors give out homework. No. So it's good to see. And I, you know, I know we talked on that before, but pen to paper on every step is, is key. It's key. You won't ever hear any disagreements. From I know me. I won't. I know I won't. <laughs> and, and I could tell you our sponsor was in San Francisco this past week. Um, so he just got back from Europe and then went straight to San Francisco. So he should be back and we'll be able to have a conversation about some of that. Nice. I'm, I'm pretty excited. Yeah. As Derek, I think, has mine down there. I do. <laughs> what else is going on? I mean, besides, are we just going to interview this guy today? Have some fun or what? I, I guess so. Uh, Put him on the hot seat? Yeah. I feel like he's nervous. He says he's not nervous, but he's walked in here with like this, like, I don't know. What's wrong with you, Bob? 
If any kind of nervousness going on right now, if that <laughs> spit it out, boy, spit it out. If I have any nervousness right now, it's this job situation tomorrow. Oh, I've okay. I've got a raise at my job, which I'm really you know happy. I got to hear from somebody in charge. The reason I had this job is because I've improved so much at where I work, mm-hmm. and that was like really exciting to hear because you know I always go in there nervous as hell to go into work because I don't know what I'm doing in there, but obviously I'm making a difference in people's lives, so. Brother, you've been making a difference in people's lives for a lot of years now. Yeah, and, and still doubt myself. I'm not going to lie. We all do. That's okay. Doubt. You doubt me too? Well, we all doubt you. <laughs> we all doubt you, but I mean, I also doubt myself. Here's, here's the thing that we have to remember is God's in charge, right? Right. So, yeah, left up to your own power, your own will, your own way, oh, you I would yeah. screw it up. Without a doubt. Yeah, and, God, and I think we're going to get to that in the interview, actually. God okay. gifts you, know? you very well, brother. Yeah. God has gifted you well. What it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, right? Yeah, right. Um, so, easy questions. Yeah. So, uh, Derek, why don't you share, like, where were you born, um, born and raised, and you know, what kind of religious or spiritual upbringing did you have? All right. So, I was born in a little area of the country we like to call the East Side. Not the East Coast, but the East Side. So, where's the East Side for those that... <laughs> Normally, the funny thing is, when I say East Side, everybody knows exactly where I'm coming from. We do. That's not people in California. That's not people in Texas. Or it is true. I was born and raised East St. Louis, one of the uh, top, I think, in the top three of murder uh, county capitals in the country. Mm -hmm. I was born and raised there. Uh, Lived there until I was about nine, ten, and then moved over to the East Side of Belleville. One east side to the other, you know, and Belleville. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, religious wise, I would say we'd, I was more religious than spiritual because we was using that to cover our butts and a lot of things that we were doing in that in my household. We didn't, I didn't come from like one of those uh, sweet little, you know, pit white picket fence houses, even though we made it look as such, you know. But it wasn't like that growing up, you know. We were. So that kind of leads into, so what was your family life like? If there was anything that we could have did, do that and got away with it, we would have did it, and we did it, you know. We uh, put we hustled out of the house on the 24-7. I didn't get raised to play football or baseball, and I got raised how to hustle and make and make it through life. And mm. then, so one of our biggest hustles, like I said, was, you know, we made the whole white picket fence life out there when it really was, you know, that was just a cover, like I said, a cover up to what the dark stuff that we were doing. You know, we we had the image of legal, well-behaved individuals. Anything illegal we were doing, we got away with. Mm-hmm. You know what? It sounds like they had the image of Lever to Beaver, the Cleavers. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't quite like that because there was like there was nine kids in the house and a mom and a dad. You know, and so it was more like the Brady Bunch. If I could, so the guy that raised me was not my true, my biological father. And that um, it was his, it was his brother that he was shot by uh, an officer back when I was not even a year old. And my uncle came in, took over the spot, and raised and raised me. And that, and my, that's only because my mom had worked for him at the time. And then um, my mother ended up having six, uh, four more kids with him. My four brothers were all from, you know, this one guy. And the, the guy that raised us, anyways. And then uh, when I was eight, mom left. And that pretty much my dad chased her off. He was just like, you know what? You know, he got in a car accident. He couldn't get around. So he was just like, you know, instead of me going from house to house, because he was, had another woman that he was having kids with. There, it was really funny because I got a. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Because I got a no, brother. It's not funny. I'm just trying to put it. So, so your uncle raised you. Yes. And then your uncle had children with, with your my mother. Mother. Yes. And then at eight, your mother, mother left. got ran off. And your dad, your uncle got with somebody else. He had been with somebody else the whole time. Okay. Like, dad was a pimp. He had his women. You know, my mom really worked for him. It was really surprising when he even showed up at the house. And usually because he was just going to come out and say it. And, you know, my, my family might get upset. But I mean, he was normally high and freaking, you know, needed to get his. Is uh, we just come out and say, had to get his rocks off and took it out on my mom. Mm. And that, so, and the sad thing was, it was usually after he um, beat the crap out of her, which was really hard to deal with growing up, mm. you know, because he was never there. So, I was, you know, being the elder, 
kid, I was, you know, I was the man of the house, so I thought. And and this man come in and, you know, take over everything. And it was just like, what the heck? And it was nothing I could have done, you know. So it was that part was rough and that. But yeah, mom left when I, we were eight. Dad chased her off because he had a, he had a bad car accident, couldn't get around, and he made it you know out to be like, hey, I can't get back and forth and take care of this house, take care of this house, take care of this, you know. So he brought all his kids together into one house, and he chose he chose my stepmother as the person he was going to be with, and chased my mom off. So my mom took off and left. So, um, how did sports play a part in your life? There ain't no damn spam. The only thing I got learned how to do, I learned how to box, man. Yeah, I, I know, I know. I, I know. was a boxer, and I planned on being. <laughs> it is a sport, sport. <laughs> but it wasn't so much like street boxing. Yeah, because Dad was always like, "Oh, you know, you don't have to grow up to be a boxer, but you ain't gonna be no punk on the street either, though." So mm-hmm. it wasn't so much I was being trained as a sport, but. We made it look as a, as a sport because once again it was a cover up. Right. I was being trained to actually if I had to take somebody's throat out, I could. But what's called a boxing, you stand up and just throw some punches. If you slip up and hit somebody in the throat, oh whoops, they ran into it, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, they should have been prepared for it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they should have been blocking. You know? But a little bob and weave there. Yeah, that's the only real sports that got played. You know, I mean, I tried football and stuff like that, but I was too busy hustling. Now, did you complete high school? No, I got my GED in the joint. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I went through all, all 12 years, but I, my last year I had broken my back my senior year, so I did, did it at home. And because and I didn't get all my credits, I needed to graduate from um, being homeschooled that year because of my back being broken. So I was supposed to go back, and I didn't go back. Gotcha. And I took off to Florida, went down there to work. That's where I caught my case. That's where I did my time. And I was in there, I was like, hey, might as well get my GED while I'm here, right? You know, so. so when did you, when did it start for you? When did the addiction come into play? I would say my drug use, I actually, the first time I ever got high, I was eight years old. Okay. And that's, I'm bugging my dad. I'm like, dude, you know, you shouldn't smoke. Smoking's bad. I'm eight years old. I'm in school. We're being told cigarette smoking stuff's bad for you. I ain't know nothing about no drugs yet. So I'm bugging my dad, why do you smoke? And he's like, here. And he showed me exactly why he smoked. You know, and it was the buzz. Right. So So he handed you a joint at eight? Yes. Hmm. I'm glad I didn't do that with my kids. (laughs) I'm so am I. I mean, and I was was using, but yeah, it's hard to think of. I mean, he was probably high at the moment anyway. So, I mean, he was smoking. So obviously he didn't think of it, but. Mm. So what uh, what was that progression like? If you started at eight, did you continuously go from eight on or did you just like? I know I, I came off of it. You know, I wasn't because I was a kid. I didn't know any better. So it wasn't like it was usually when dad came home to smoke and there was people in the house. Hey, you know, you guys go to your room and stay out. You know, we're better. We're not to be seen or heard when we have company over. So, you know, every now and then I was able to come down because I was the eldest and that and I would, you know, smoke with him because I thought it was the cool thing to do. Dad did it. Why wouldn't it be right? Mm-hmm. And then, but it really, really, I think it took off when I went into high school when I was about 13. And then when I start, really started dealing, that I started smoking more. And I stayed, I stayed on that. And you said, how old were you? 13. 13? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I was, I was dealing it. So I smoked with the people I dealt to. You know, I didn't realize that many people smoked weed in high school, but I'll be darned. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> As he's walking around with a fat knot at the age of 13. I know. <laughs> And all that money went right back home to dad, you know. I mean, I got nice clothes and stuff from doing my work, but for the most part, you know, all the money I made went to him. It wasn't like I was hustling for myself. It was taking care of the family, you know. Dad was the type, hey, this is our ship, and if you're not um, helping us row, then you're already being as an anchor. So I worked my butt off to, you know, make things right. Uh, <laughs> it was rough. Sounded like your dad... Um put some, uh, instilled some things in you. Oh, he did. He did. But, I mean, he got that from somewhere himself. You know, he had his own issues and things he never dealt with because he wouldn't understand them. But when he was 12, it's funny thing, he would tell the stories, oh, I didn't start getting in trouble. But once I turned 13, I was always getting in trouble. You know, that may have something to do with me at 13 getting into that same thing. But it was within a year after he found out that the woman raising him was not his biological mother. He found out his auntie was his biological mother. And that grandma had been raising him. 
And it's like, ever since he had heard that, that's when all the trouble started for him. And I asked him, I remember asking that one time, this was before I even knew anything about work and recovery and any of that job. And I asked him, you think anything that had anything to do with it? And his look at me was like, maybe. And that was the only conversation I had with him about it. I really wish he was around the day where we can actually have this talk and I can sit down with him, mm. you know. Yeah, it would be an awesome opportunity. Did he go through his family? Did you go through your family? Like how big it is? No, there. Well, I did say there was there was nine kids. Yeah, and mom yeah, and dad, yeah. I remember that too. So yeah, I just wanted to make sure because I mean it, it it it's not a small family by any means. It's no. the complete opposite of mine. Yeah, <laughs> I was not an only child, and the thing was, being the eldest child, I had to take care of everything else. Like all the all the jive and all the things were going on, I had to be there to take care of the kids. People ask me, how am I? Why am I so good with babies? How am I so good with kids all the time? Especially like in the youth and all that kind of thing. It was that's all I've ever really known. Outside of making a hustle, was taking care of the family, and that's you know I'm a big family guy because of it. But he didn't remind me of the oldest. Like when we were all together for even we went to a couple years ago, and when I met everybody, yeah, you just didn't seem like the oldest. Because I was not my uncle's kid, yeah. So there was I was seen differently, and he and he swore up and down he loved me to death, and I know he did, but he had more love for his actual blood kids than he yeah. did for us, you know, for me, and my, and my sister Angel. She was also that way, you know. She was my father's, not my uncle's, <laughs> but yeah. And I know, like I said, I know he loved me. He did treat me, in, you know, a certain way and stuff, but. It was, well, it wasn't one of his blood, and it it has showed over the years. I wouldn't wouldn't pay t- attention to it back then because I was just a kid, and I was just hoping that you know he did love me. But as of now, I see it did had a lot to do with my addictive behaviors, without a doubt, because of my mental health, and I was using the drugs to cover it up. So you you said you ended up in Florida. Yes. And, okay. So so how did you get from East St. Louis to Florida? So my stepmom had a brother that he was also had some cases, I guess you can say, and he had been shipped. He went down to Florida and took on construction and all that work. So to get me up out of more or less, I was 17, getting ready to turn 18. So they would not be able to get paid for me by the state anymore in my household. They sent me somewhere where I can learn how to work and um, learn some work ethic. Mm. And so I went and he was down there already building houses, had a thing going. So I went and worked with him. That's where I got my uh, positive work. Um, what's it called? Ethics. From work ethics. Work, yes, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> I would call them work skills too. Work skills, you became yeah. a, a skilled laborer out of that. Yes, I did. I mean, I can go onto any job site and really start for no less than thirty dollars an hour if I really chose to right now because I know what I'm doing. Really? Oh yeah, dude. I built a house from the bottom to the top. Bro, I didn't even know you. You don't even. You don't come off as a guy that even knows how to use a tape measure. Oh, brother, you had no idea. <laughs> I rock. <laughs> now, a lawnmower, I think you can handle a lawnmower pretty well. Oh, All right. Ooh, there we yeah, go. Stuff just got I'm real. Get started on that one, right? I can too, though. All right. So, I love you, Derek. I, I love you. you. <laughs> just got real. <laughs> so when did, I mean, when did you, so you went down there, you're working. Like, were you doing illegal activities? I mean, how did you catch a case? I was doing illegal activities. Of course okay. I was. Okay. All right. That's all I knew. You know? So I went down there. I started uh, started dealing down there for the guy I went down to work with. It was it was pushing for him. And, you know, I had some money stashed up. And it came down to, man, I let somebody uh, watch over my safe for me at one time. And um, he brought some female over there that he paid for. And she ended up robbing my safe because I, <clears throat> I, I left it open. <laughs> uh, that's not really a good use of a safe. <laughs> no, I honestly left it open, and I went, and I left, and then I told him, you know, keep an eye on everything. And <laughs> the woman that he brought to the house ended up robbing me. So I found out where she was at. Went after her, you know, and it just happened. We were driving down the street, down the interstate. There she was, and I pulled my gun on. I told her to pull over. I wanted my money back, and. My dumb self, you know, at 18 years of age, didn't pay attention to the fact that three cars ahead of us was a blue suit and saw 
the gun and everything and pulled us over. And by the, I mean, by the time he got to me, I had it out the window. It was gone. But he had seen it, but there was still no proof. But I still got a case for it. How much time did you do? Year and a half. Year and a half. So we, were you active in your addiction in that time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was. I was. Were you dealing to, to maintain your addiction or were you? Well, see, that would go. To, I think I was dealing to maintain my mental health because it felt so damn good to have all that money. Mm. And, you know, I was making that extra money. I was working a legitimate job. So this was one thing that dad always tried to teach us was if you're going to be hustling and doing all this work, make sure you have a legitimate job to make it, you know, so you can try to cover up where this money's coming from. And I actually had that going on. So it, I felt really good. I know my dad would be so proud if he actually saw what was going on. And then, so I think that had a lot of driven to me doing what I did about the case situation because I was dumb and let somebody rob me. You know, so like, did you still have a relationship with dad while you were down there? Yes. Just asking, you said dad would be proud of me. So was he proud? Well, I'd never, no, I never told him what the money I was taking and I was making because I didn't want him wanting it because he would have just asked for it. Mm -hmm. It's just how, you know, it was so, money was so good to him when it was somebody else's. But he was taking, you know, so <laughs> I never told him exactly what I was doing in that until I got the case. And well, if you would have been sending that money to me, then, you know, you would never had never been stolen. You never had a case. Mm. Yeah, Dad, you're probably right. But you know what? I got to make my own mistakes. Well, you wouldn't have had it anyway then. Yeah. So. so. Yeah. That's a long pause. I figured somebody would have a question ready. <laughs> I have a question. I didn't know Steve was going to ask. Steve's just been sitting over there. I know. I've just been sitting over here. <laughs> yeah, Steve, you can't just sit there. If you're going to be on camera and be on mic, go ahead. Speak up, my good <laughs> sir. Don't be scared. Don't scared. I'm just kind of taking notes here, listening to everything going on. I mean. Taking uh, notes. When you can write yeah, the book. I, I, got a, I got a recording of it. You can take notes later. I know. But I mean, I got some stuff that I can, you know, if I want to go back and look at some other okay. stuff. Well, um, go ahead. So what were some of the root causes of your addiction? Mom leaving at eight years old, uh, finding out that my dad was not my real father and trying to impress him all the time. When did you find that out, that dad wasn't your real dad? How old were you? About eight years old. Mm. Um, how many times have you gotten sober? Ooh. Oh, uh, <laughs> let's see, there was this one time back in 87. And then, no, I mean, I've tried, I really tried this whole sobriety thing multiple times. I've been to multiple places in that. Uh, I mean, right now is my longest and best amount of time without using. But at the same time, part of my issue was if every drug I ever did in my life, I first did with dad, then there was nothing wrong with what I was doing. Mm. I could never, I never was able to accept any of the mental health part because for starters, that wasn't allowed. You know, <laughs> you, can't, you can't show no fear. You can't show no emotions because all you're doing is showing weakness. Once you do that, the enemy would take over. Yeah, but back then mental health wasn't the same as what it is now. Like, no, it, it is not. You kept that under wraps just because of the stigma. I mean, the stigma is still bad, but nothing like it was when you were younger. No. And, and <clears throat> I mean, they try to go to my dad and try to tell my dad, I think I got depression issues. He'd have freaking laughed at me and beat it out of me. Probably put the gloves on, boy, we'll take this outside. And, you know, we go toe to toe for a little bit. So. What were you going to ask him, Jay? No, I was, I, I mean, it was along the lines of, of your addiction. So, how many years did you struggle with with this? I mean, you said you started at 13, but like when did you really realize that it was a problem and it was affecting your life? When I was 26 years old, I met my ex-wife. Okay. She had a son, and I, it was a, that moment in my life that I decided it's time for me to, I need to straighten up. Something is not right, and I tried multiple times. I did the California sober thing for quite a long time, and that, but I always kept going back to the other stuff because that always took numb me to whatever things I was feeling and stuff. And that I think the biggest hit that I ever took was when I found out my biological mother had died. And I was I was searching for her, trying to find her because I needed I needed answers to the questions that I had. I really thought, and by the time I got in touch with her uh, stepmom, I come to find out that she had died five years before I got there, and I went on a big speed rush on that. It went. You know, my emotions went crazy on that one. Mm -hmm. You know, I needed answers. I was never going to get the answers that I wanted. And I would never, I would never thought I'd be able to forgive her. Hmm. What, what kind of role has God played in your sobriety? 
Yeah, where did you, when did you find God along this way? That was going to be my next question. I've always knew there was a God. That's without a doubt because, you know, we used it in to cover our butts. But, you know, we went to church every Sunday just so, you know, people seeing us at church. How can somebody at church be robbing and stealing and hustling like yeah, that, pimp? right? Yeah, who, you know, not on Sunday morning. <laughs> who could do that, right? But no, uh, I've always known there was a God. It was, I would have to say back in uh, 2006 when I truly, when I first surrendered, truly surrendered myself to God. I was at a, uh, my, so this was right after I found out about my mom dying. So it was about that same time. And then uh, we ended up going, because of this uh, binge I went on, we ended up leaving everything we had here in, um, in Illinois and going up to um, New York where my um, ex-wife's family lives, right, where my girls are at. So we went up there. And I I couldn't fit into these people's house, man. You know, I tried. I tried to be respectful, but, like, you gonna respect will only go so far if you ain't getting it back in return. And they were just rude, disrespect, you know, it just got to the point where I was just like, you know, I got to do something else. If I didn't go, and I'm, I'm in New York, so I didn't know anybody. I didn't know where to go get high because that would have just been helped out, right? But ended up separating and got put into a homeless shelter, the rescue mission. Props out to the rescue mission in New York. And the funny thing was, so, I mean, you can imagine I'm in New York. I know nobody. I'm around a bunch of um, silly individuals I don't know. You can just imagine my attitude them days. You know, you don't come nowhere near me. Or I'm going to punch you dead in your nose, right? And that's how I was. And I woke up one Saturday. It was So this was on a Wednesday that I went into the homeless shelter. So it was that night. So Thursday and Friday, I had this attitude. You know, I didn't want to hear nobody's crap. I wasn't putting up with anything. If I felt disrespected in any kind of way, you'd have, been, you'd have known about it. That's just where I was at. You know, and uh, Saturday I woke up and it's like, dude, I'm in a spot. I got to make, I got to, some way or another, I got to make this work. I got to figure it out some, you know, be more positive about this and get through what I got, I'm going through. So I went into the homeless shelter day room and they, uh, they called a Bible study. Okay. So, you know, I get it. I know there's been a God. I've seen him there before. I know grandma, I mean, this woman sweated holy water. Without a doubt, that's how that's how powerful she was. This woman, real quick, this woman taught um, te- taught at a prison, and it's because she spoke fluent Spanish, so she spoke, you know, did the Latin um, Bible studies in prison until she was eighty four years old. Three days before she died, she did her last sermon in a prison. Yeah, so Grandma, much love to you. But uh, anyway, so I went into the, I was like, you know what? Let me go check out this Bible study. I go in there. And you know, it's really simple Bible. It was the Daily Bread. I know everybody out there's mm-hmm. seen the Daily Bread books. It was out of that. Got some upstairs. Grandma's got some upstairs. See? So I was like, oh wow, Daily Bread. All right. But you know what? Give the guy the benefit of the doubt. And it was almost as if it was, you know, a lesson that I needed to hear that day, of course, right? And I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Just haven't truly got out of that bad boy attitude that I've had the last few days and how mad I am at everything. But I took what I heard that day pretty well, you know, and then Sunday, the rescue mission has a um, Sunday morning service. So I was like, you know what? Why not? Right. I go in there. The guy's preaching out of uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Mm. And he's talking about Abraham, how Abraham was told to get out of his area and go over here until the Lord said it was ready. And that, and it was like, I started meditating on that. And I was just like, did I, was I brought here to New York to get out of the um, evil and stuff I was dealing down there in Illinois? And, you know, so, but you know what? It's just by chance, right? You know, yeah, yesterday's service was seemed to be touching at me. This one seems to be, you know, but, you know, it's whatever. And of course, you know, went on the next days, in a better mood, still homeless, but still in a better mood. Haven't talked to my, didn't talk to my ex-wife at all. And Wednesday, they had the midweek service. And of course, all right, last two have seemed to be very powerful. Let me go see what this one's about. And uh, it went to uh, the book of Judges, uh, Jephico or whatever one of the judges' names was. And it was all about him and how he he was the lesser of his family. And everybody looked at him as that. And even the father taught the, you know, treated the other kids better than he... And I was just like, you gotta be, you gotta be kidding me. No, you know, and that's, I think 
in, in theory, that would have been like one of the first times I really recognized what mental health was about. And it was, you know, me feeling that pain that I felt from my father treat me the way he did as opposed to he did his kids. And then it was like, I hit my knees and surrendered right then and there and I accepted Christ into my life and truly accepted Christ into my life. Um, family, how many kids do you have? I have two kids and a stepson, so two how, daughters and a stepson. How has your addiction affected that family? Uh, well, as I've shared dynamic. before on the podcast, when I just met my 12-year-old daughter for the first time last year, and that, uh, right now, if you guys don't mind, it's really a subject I don't really want to get into too much today. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, what you know, you're talking about how you found religion. You gave yourself over to God. Uh, how did that evolve in your life? Well, for starters, I didn't find religion. I find I found spirituality. I, I changed. I changed. <laughs> I changed that up. All right, and it, really, what it was is so once I get surrendered. I found out about the uh, Salvation Army Rehabilitation Program up there for adults. Like, well, I'll go give it a shot because it was a Christ-centered place. So I went in there, and a gentleman, uh, Mike Timon, and I don't know if he's still preaching up there or not, but he was a pastor at the Resurrection Church in Syracuse. And that uh, he wore a shirt that sort of said, it's against my relationship to have a religion. And that's when it, it truly, I truly started to grasp the whole uh, relationship part outside of being in a religious situation. Because it was religion that was keeping me away from the church to begin with. And over the years, I've always been there. You know, it's over the last five years has really grown more than anything else. But even the years before that, you know, there's always been a God and I did my best to surrender to him. Yeah, I mean, I know I've seen you. I've known you for a while now and I've really seen you grown lately. You know, I'm just kind of really kind of impressed of where you've come to. Um, what was the last straw? What was the last straw when you finally got sober and it took? Okay, so my wife's not here. <laughs> she, <laughs> she was here. She probably won't be watching. Don't worry. Oh, no. she well, She's going to know about this one. She'll definitely listen. And probably Jeremy's wife would tell on me. But no, <laughs> she's listening. <laughs> All right, so my wife, she will admit, and I've mentioned it on here plenty of times before, my wife would admit that she was queen codependent. She did anything I wanted in that as long as she had control over the situation. So uh, I was I was, was using, I went to jail. I had gone to jail because I got caught up on a case back in um, February uh, five years ago, whatever it was, 2018. That's what it was. You know, back in 2018, and I caught a case for having a possession. And I, and I didn't go to court, so I ended up going to jail. And she took care of me while I was in there. She let me back in the house as soon as I got out. But I was still in the mindset of using it. You know, and uh, so I ended up leaving one day and moved in with a friend of mine that I knew from back in the day. And that and uh, was staying there, but then that wasn't going over too well, so I, I needed to come home. I thought, you know, let me give her a call. Maybe she'll let me come in. And she had been going to celebrate recovery in the codependency group, and when I asked her if I can come home, she showed up told me no. Got a little surprise there? Ain't nobody ever tell me no before. <laughs> but, you know, Boundary? What's that? And that was like a complete sentence. No. <laughs> you know, I mean, she did help me get into a hotel room that night and somewhere to stay, but yeah. It was her telling me no that I had to recognize, wait a second, I can't keep doing this. Something's got to change completely. And that's uh, when I surrendered at Celebrate Recovery, got my blue chip, and I've been going ever since. So when you got July seventeenth, so, so when you got 2018. Sober, so when you got sober, did you go through a uh, program or did you uh, do a treatment center? How'd you? Not this last time. This last time, I just gave it up. I and. I would. I have known. I had been to programs before. I knew the steps. I knew everything I needed to do. I just had to get involved in it. And that, I mean, I've had. A, I was up. And there was a place in Quincy, Illinois. I was in there for a week, and they asked me to leave because I was teaching the classes. <laughs> no joke. I mean, I did four months in the Salvation Army. I mean, I knew what I had to do to stay sober. You knew how to check the boxes. Oh, I checked them very good. I got a beautiful little check box. Yeah, I was listening to a speaker last so, night. They were talking about checking the boxes, and we get good at checking the boxes. Give us that last year of addiction. 
before you made that decision? The last year of addiction, uh, still got to probably set to make amends to the woman that I took advantage of. You know, living in her house, let her take care of everything. I wasn't even working. She took care of everything. Took care of everything, and that and uh. I really thought I was getting away with something. That's like when she told me no that time, it was just like, whoa, what's going on, you know? So, <coughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and that was my last year of using. That was everything, huh? Your last year, you, no bottom. What, what made you realize then it's time to do something different? Like I said, it was her telling me no. It was just something about the way she said it and brought it to me because this had already, already been four years into our relationship. She never told me no. And then, you know, and I used the whole time. I mean, I, there was plenty of times that I said, look, this is going to be my last time doing it. I'm going to go get this much and I'm going to um, do it all night. And then, you know, I won't do it again. I won't do it anymore. And of course, she tried to be the good, loving woman. It's like, okay, this last time. She even took me to go get it, you know? <clears throat> so that is a codependent. <laughs> right. And that is a codependent enabling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then what was early sobriety like for you? What, what is your sobriety date? July 17th. July 17th. Right. Yes. I, I'm trying to figure out something with this. I hit capture. And so I got a picture of him up on the, the screen. It's oh, cool. pretty nice, but I don't have anything else. So <laughs> um, that's kind of rough. So what was early sobriety like for you? Be completely honest, I was still checking boxes. You know, uh, I had a sponsor. I never called him, never contacted with him. I seen him every Thursday meeting, but that was it. Only meeting I was going to, and that, um, <clears throat> and that, I mean, I was doing something right because people seen things change in me. But at the same time, I wasn't work. I wasn't working on my mental health. All I was doing was staying sober because I thought that's all I really had to do. Then. Mm -hmm. uh, Last couple, you know, after my brother had passed away, I started, you know, it was brought to my attention that, you know, my recovery is more than just sobriety and I need to start really working my recovery. So I ended up getting a new sponsor and that who I've been doing my best to keep up with, you know, and uh, been really working on my mental health. I go see a psychiatrist now every other month. I uh, I don't see my therapist much anymore, but I still... Like to, I'd still like to talk to him. I'm trying to set up another appointment to go back to him. I always send people to him because I love the way I, he worked. And I've just come to realize all these things in my past that has caused me to be who I was and why I was using. Yeah, I, you know, was there any real joy in using? No, it was just really the numbness of all that that was around me. And I didn't have to deal with any of my past. I didn't have to deal with missing my daughters. I didn't have to deal with the... The, my dad passing away, I didn't have to deal with my brother. You know, it was just the thing, I didn't wasn't using him when my brother came around, but it was my dad, you know, passing away, I didn't have to deal with my mom leaving, because as long as I was dumb, I was good. And that, you know, <clears throat> I'm probably going to ask the question the wrong way, but what step in the 12 steps stuck out the most for you? Step four, without a doubt, because I actually started digging into, well, actually it was four, five, six, and seven, right, in that order, because, after step four, I actually started really digging into what was really going on with me. You know, I'd never thought in a million years that I was dealing with something that I seen when I was five years old. But it has, and it did, until I was able to actually write that out and, you know, forgive. And I was able to recognize my character defects that had happened because of it. And a lot of times in my life, I'm trying to do all these different things to cover up this weakness this insecurities and all that stuff I felt from watching my dad swing on my mom. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and so getting into six and seven, I actually started letting those go. But all, so all that really actually stood out. That's what you were asking? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, most people whine about the fourth step. How was it for you? It was very... It, I'm not going to lie, when I first got in working the steps, I did try to step away from it and not deal with it. Just, you know, write out a few quote, little short, you know, stories. My sponsor at the time, when I was meeting with him, he said, you know, you don't have to write it out like they do in the package. Just write it out like in a story form or something. So I did. 
I did a couple times just so when I've sat with him, he had something to read, you know, but not until this last, this last couple of years have I actually looked into the forceps and seen how we've, uh, relieving, actually dealing with these episodes and recognizing these character defects and being able to replace and let those go and replacing them as things gotten better in my life altogether. What have the, excuse me, what have been the biggest challenges you've faced so far in recovery in this five years? <clears throat> Please forgive me, but my family was, has been a big challenge in my life. I'm a, you know, I've raised these kids a lot in my time and they're my, you know, I'm the eldest, still the eldest. This is my family. A lot of them still use. And, uh, so it was my brother's funeral. This is one of the big, biggest challenging moments that I had was at my brother's funeral. We went to the gravesite. Everybody in the family's doing their little um, airplane shots and throwing it in there because my brother was known for his drinking. And uh, they tried to get, you know, a friend of the family's tried to give me one, and I said, no. Oh, you're not even going to just dump it out at least? and throw the, Dude, I'm not even going to touch the bottle. And then my youngest brother's just like, man, I don't drink it. I'm going to do it. And I was like, Dude, no, you know, and it's been moments like that that I had to deal with that, you know, have been the most challenging. And I love my family. I love you guys. If you ever do listen to this podcast, I do love you guys. And you all mean the world to me, but I got to do me. Can you tell us about your current support system? Who does it? I mean, who, who's involved in your, your support system right now? Your accountability. My accountability team. Really, the majority of it consists of Awake and Sober podcast. Everybody here, you know, <laughs> which I'm very appreciative of. Uh, my wife, without a doubt, if I start acting a certain way, out of place, whatever, where it could lead to using, she's there to hold me accountable. Uh, I got you and uh, Mike, who we've had on the show before, hold me accountable at work. And, then, and my sponsor holds me accountable on a regular basis. And you've got a couple guys at the gym that hold me accountable for showing up. So, you know. <laughs> Good. Yeah, the guy at the um, cheeseburger bar. You're so silly, dude. I don't even. <laughs> who invited him? <laughs> what, what was that? I have a headset on it. So, so when he first posted, he went back to the gym. I said I didn't know they. Uh, I commented that I didn't know they started selling cheeseburgers at the gym. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> it's yeah. kind. Do you of, like to eat? <laughs> yeah, I like to eat. I would have said oh. burritos, but that's just very. <laughs> you need to stop. <laughs> I love you, Derek. I know, I know. I mean, we're going to have a lot of comments, probably. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Blonde hair, blue eyes. <laughs> um, what is your, um, what are the common misconceptions about addiction that you would like people to know? Well, I really want people to really start recognizing, especially guys our age, take a look at your past. There's a reason why you're drinking. There's a reason why you're using and that, and uh, really, and I think the real misconception is with the addict themselves, where they just think, "Oh, I just could quit drinking; everything's going to be okay." And no, there's more to it than that. All right, sobriety is only five to ten percent of your actual recovery. You need to start working your recovery and digging up these things in the past, and that, and start dealing with those in order in order to feel better about yourself, where you're not going and using. How have you worked through that guilt and shame? My own guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. I've opened up about it. I quit holding it in. I've shared with, you know, my sponsor. I've shared with my wife. Uh, and I've surrendered to God above all things, man. He's, you know, he's let me know that I have no reason to feel guilty. I have no reason to be ashamed. I went through what I went through so I could be doing what I'm doing now. All right. I can't, the individual can't sit there in front of me at my job and try to tell me, oh, no, this, 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 and that. All right. For one, I know that's a lie because, I did it the same way, but this is how I did it, you know, too. And so my biggest release out of my guilt and shame was being with Christ, giving my life over to him and following him. My higher power. Back, <laughs> kind of back to a step question. Uh, 12 step. What does it mean to you and how do you live it? I feel, I'd like to think I live it on a daily basis because I share the Lord everywhere I go where I'm actually allowed to without getting in trouble. <laughs> Of course, I live in. I work in a secular uh, program, but at the same time, there's individuals in there that do ask questions, and that, and the fact that I'm doing a job that nobody would have ever saw me doing. I'm a substance abuse counselor. 
dude, I was a drug dealer back in the day. I pushed, I was a manufacturer of, of some things. And now I'm a substance abuse counselor. That's my 12 step. Mm. So you're saying God has a, a very good sense of humor. Dude, I'm an ordained pastor. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing. I mean, you're not only a substance abuse counselor, but you're a pastor. Yes. I mean, did you imagine that the, in, in, in five years ago when you first got sober, could you imagine this? No. When I first got a job at a church, I was just like, okay. You know, when it was brought to my attention, I thought, all right, you know, sounds cool. But I never really thought it would have been what it was. And sure enough, yeah, I was employed at a church. I was. Now, were Pretty you still it. on papers when you came to the church? I actually was, yes. I, I didn't share that part. But, yeah, when I actually went to go work to the church, I was still on papers, man, that I had got um, probation for that possession charge I was just talking about earlier. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty wild that um, a church would take a, a chance on somebody that is still on probation for it. Right, without a doubt. I mean, what I don't think I was just creeping up on two years clean before I got the job. Mm. So it's a, uh, it's good to see. I mean, it's a church that was living out what Jesus would want. Yes. At that moment. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. Um, what kind of, uh, we, you know, we've talked about your, your faith a little bit, but what kind of higher power relationship do you have and how has that changed over time and how has it helped you in your recovery? First thing I do when I wake up in the morning is hit my knees and thank God that I'm alive another day. Because I shouldn't be here, dude. I have I have bullet holes. I have stab wounds. There's no reason I should be on this earth right now besides the fact God wants me here for a good reason. So I'm very thankful for what I've uh what I have. And that and every day I build my relationship with him closer and closer. Because I Especially in the last couple of years, more than anything, when it was brought to my attention, how it seemed that I could been slipping, was slipping away from it when I wasn't working my steps and all that kind of stuff, that I really worked more on building that relationship with my higher power. And I am very, like to feel very faithful to him because he's been faithful to me. What would you tell somebody who challenges, who, who challenges you on the, the, the God thing? or the spirituality thing. Like, what do you, what do you tell men and women that you work with, you know, about God? How do you do that? I tell them what's worked for me. And I mean, I would love to sit there and be able to preach to these people all day, every day, but as you know, we can't do that. No. But when I, when he does get brought up and what has it done for, you know, and the real question is what is, what has God ever done for you? Well, I'm glad you asked. Mm -hmm. And I share where I've come from, where I'm at today. And how what I do to what I do is because of what my higher power has done for me. Mm -hmm. Now, you may not work that way for you, but that's what worked for me, and this is why I stand behind what I stand behind. And, and brother, that's not preaching. That's that that's sharing your story. Yes, right? that's sharing the story of your relationship with with God and what He's done for you. You know, and I don't think there's a better testimony than that, personally. And you guys are allowed to share once they ask. Oh, once that door's open, once, I'm walking through it, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and that's what's beautiful about even being in. Look, they bring us in and they they want us to. Uh, me as an outsider, right? Whenever I come in to teach or something like that, I'm I have free reign, and I try not to because you never know where somebody's going to be at. But I love when they ask that question. Mm -hmm. so that way, you could open it up. So, do you get to share your faith often? Often. It has it has gotten a um, little more than usual. It seems like of, as of late, uh, I had a client not that long ago was uh, claimed to be a hardcore atheist, but for me working with him and sharing me and who I was and how I handle things, he's interested in the twelve step program and wants to go ahead and try to identify a higher power. Mm. So the hardcore atheists are the fun ones, anyway. Yes, they are. That's who we're uh, supposed to to meet with, to talk with, to to turn into disciples of Jesus. Yes. Yeah, and I'm I love talking with them. I'd rather have I'd rather have a hardcore atheist that really feels what they do about God as opposed to somebody who thinks they already know God and everything about it. Mm -hmm. If you knew it so much, <laughs> you know, I don't I feel that way because I was that guy at one time too. You know, I could preach a sermon and then walk away with no big deal and probably end up using by the end of the day. But <laughs> so. What does your daily or what does your weekly routine look like in recovery? What do you do for your recovery? So uh, 
I meet with my sponsor once a week. I call him every day as soon as I leave work. So we got this long driveway at my job. And at the end, there's a gate. And I'd like to say by the time I make it to that gate, I've already called my sponsor every day. After Even after five years, I call him every day. And that, uh, he's, does he answer the phone every time you call no, him? No, of course not. <laughs> but when he but does, how often does he? he? But what he does, we have a good conversation. <laughs> and that, and he, it seems like he does answer, like God's telling him, you need to answer this call today. Yeah. <laughs> because it's something I need to talk about, you know? It's like I call him like three times and I'm like, dude, I sent you a text message. He's like, what are we, what are we doing today? I'm like, I called you. <laughs> I called you. I was probably sleeping. <laughs> you, all right, if he sets up a time for you to call him, don't if you need to talk to him outside of just regular check-in, yeah. don't call him. <laughs> talk to him about it, all right? If, if you, your check-in's 447, mm-hmm. do your check-in, and then call him at 5 o'clock. He'll answer at 5 o'clock because he <laughs> want to know why you call it at 5 o'clock. Right, <laughs> because if, if you're calling at an odd time, that person needs to know why. Right. There's usually something going on that you need to discuss. Yes. <laughs> the check-in is to teach us to do different things and get outside of ourselves. But I, I had a couple of sponsees that would do that. They'd call me at that time. And if I'm busy, I'm busy. But if you call me at an odd time, I'm answering the phone. <laughs> right. You know, it's just the way it goes. I don't want something bad to happen, but I also want you to be able to think through things. Right. <laughs> yeah, and we also know the secret to get you to answer, which... Food? Yeah, no. You know, oh. I, I mean, we. I mean, we know the emergency uh, signal. Um, Call you know. twice. Yeah, Call twice. I was That's gonna say, yeah, back to back. I, you know, and I'm driving past the house and I see a. Oh, it's getting ready to rain. There's charcoal sitting out. That's an emergency. <laughs> Not really an emergency. That stuff will dry, but it, it's nice to know. So my my sponsor one time right. This is when my brother passed, and my wife called him. He didn't answer, so she called him right back. His response was, this better be an emergency. <laughs> like, I was in the middle of eating. My wife's like, yeah, Derek's brother just died. Yeah, that's uh, And then I was gone. Yeah. You made it to his house before I did. <laughs> I was rolling. That's not surprising. The way he dressed. Just saying. Um, what are your plans for the future? Whatever guys got planned for me. If I know once I get involved, I'm going to mess it up. Mm. Right? I know that uh, Reclaiming Hope is coming around, and I'm going to be, a, I'm hoping to be a big part in that, and I'm quite sure I will. And so um, my future right now is being able to lead others to recovery through Christ, just like we try to do right here on this podcast. That's my goal of my future. So Reclaiming Hope, waiting for building permits. Yes. That's what they're doing. What about Scripture. Is there, is there scripture, since you said that you want to lead them through Christ, what are your go-to? What, what are the, those scriptures that, hey, when, when crap hits the fan, this is? So, uh, with, not to sound cliche, because I know we all kind of feel this one, Jeremiah uh, 29, is always a big one. You know, God has a plan for us. We just got to be able to recognize what it is. But even though with that, my big one is Luke 9, 23. Jesus said to his disciples, he who chooses to follow, follow me must pick up his cross daily and follow me. And that, and uh, if I'm going to be bringing others to Christ and stuff, that's my cross I got to bear. I got to pick that up and carry that and do what God's called me to do. Yeah, and I look at that scripture every time somebody uh, says, hey, you've been in recovery for 11 years. You, you're a normal person. You can drink. You're a new person in Christ. <laughs> now. <laughs> I'm like, I know one, Christ wants and it ain't that. I said, why would God, why would God make it to where I could drink with you? Right. That's one. But I must be willing to die to myself, pick up my cross and follow him. Yes. So I love that scripture. I, I don't think there's many I don't like, but I wanted to find out if, if you have a life verse, if you have just those verses that you really tend to turn to more often than not. Those are the red letters in the in the, the red letters, right? yes. Yeah, that's what we need to read. Right. Without a doubt, the red letters. But I like the letters from Paul too as well. You know, I like when he's telling people how hey, you shouldn't be doing it this way and this is how it's gotta be done. Amen to that. <laughs> yeah. So what is that biggest challenge that recovery has given you? I mean the the biggest surprise challenge. Surprise. We did that <laughs> earlier. <laughs> What's the biggest surprise that recovery has given you? Relationship with my daughters. 
Mm. I had not seen them in you know twelve years, eleven years, and that, and now you know they have phones where I can contact them and talk to them. Right now, it's not a very high point and everything going on right now. There's just I don't know what's going on, but I'm letting God handle this. So, but yes, my biggest surprise in my recovery has been my relationship with my daughters and my stepson, and even with my brother, my uh, my brother that I've worked with for a little while. The relationship that we have now has gotten beyond whatever it was growing up. And that's been because of recovery. And I'm able to share it with him. Even if he's doing whatever it is that he does, he knows my words are, are real because I mean it from the heart when I speak to him. And that's, that's been a big surprise. He listens to you. He does. He does. He, he really does listen to you. And I got to tell you, I love your girls. Yeah. I do, man. I love them to death. And I know they love you. It, it's fun to see. You know, it's really fun to see is see them out throw him on the disc golf course. That don't take much, brother. I mean, Freya <laughs> is not far from being able to out throw him. That's true. Very true. <laughs> We're going to pick on you. Have you even seen my daughter's throw? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you hit my daughter that day. I remember that. <laughs> you got to bring up old stuff. Back to the four stuff. So, <laughs> Write that, down. Write that down. Yeah, his his daughters play disc golf with us uh, when they're in town. It's 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 fun though, man. It's yes. fun to get them out there and do it. I mean, my daughters in town. They go to the gym with me. They go to church with me. They go to play disc golf with me. I and mean, they do everything that I do. They right there with me, and that that's not. Yeah, you can't ask for anything more than that. If that's not a godly gift, and you know there isn't one. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the way I feel. Mm-hmm. See, I mean, I know this gifts from God, but I'm just saying that it has. To, it's all God on this point here. So I'm going to ask you my last question. It's, it's a two-parter. What message of hope can you give those that are still struggling? And what message of hope can you give to the families, other people that are still struggling? Right on. Well, message of hope to the, to the addict, don't give up. I just shared the crap that I've been through in my time, and yet here I sit today, as, like I said, a substance abuse counselor, a pastor, a co-star on the podcast teaching about recovery. excuse me there's hope out there you don't have to give up put forth the work and you and it will work for you it's one of jeremy's cliches (laughs) (laughs) it works if you work it there it is and for the families don't give up on the attic man they're dealing with something that you obviously have no idea what it is that's why you doubt them work with them find out what it is that they are dealing with and Help help them through it. You may not have been or was active participant in the addiction, but you can't you can't be a participant in their recovery. Find out what it is about them that struggle they're struggling with that they need to work through to get them to that recovery point. So you weren't a willing participant. There's the word. Even though they participated, they weren't a willing participant, willing participant. in the addiction. So why not be a willing participant in the recovery? There you go. There's it. I got to write that down so I can remember it more often. <laughs> Jer- Jeremy says it. Big Perm says it in another way. What do you say? I did. I, I'm sorry. I was over here. He, <laughs> what are you doing? I was, he says something. He says something totally different altogether. Um, so I always tell people families you weren't a willing participant but you were a participant in the addiction why not be a willing participant in the recovery but you always say oh it's a spectator's it's not. Uh, addiction isn't a spectator's sport eventually the entire family gets to play right and that's what i love about reclaiming hope is we're involved with the whole family not just the addict themselves amen everybody in the house is hurt everybody has been hurt by that disease right jay what else might you have for mr d you know, I, I I didn't know your whole story, and so this is the first time I'm hearing it, and I, I'm not going to lie, I get a little, again, every daggum podcast, I get emotional, right? So I've known you for a year and a half, and the first time I met you, you know, was at Morningstar, and to see your progression and, and, and to be a part of your recovery, because you have more recovery time than me, and so here's a guy who has more recovery time than me that's coming to me and asking me questions at work you know, because I've just been doing it longer, but it's like, it's, it's comforting to know that I have not only a, a, just an accountability buddy outside of, uh, outside of work, but it's like something I like, there's that sense of comfort I get in knowing that I'm working with somebody who is wanting the same things in life and is going in the same direction, you know? And the only thing we have to do is keep doing the next right thing. And (laughs) 
He <laughs> couldn't help it, man. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help Can it. Can we just do the next wrong thing? <laughs> Let's beat him. Yeah, that ain't going to work. We'll have a blanket party. Oh, but, you know, I, I know you're struggling with something because it's, it, it, I just know. And I want you to know that I'm praying for you. And I, I hope that our listeners out there can be praying for you too, man, because I don't, I don't want to see you carrying any burden that you don't need to be carrying. And uh, I love you, brother. And I, I really appreciate you sharing this. I love you too, man. Thank you. Man, after that, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, talk better into your mic so that way I can I, hear you. Do better. I talk better into my mic. I there do you talk go. Better into my mic. It, it's difficult when the person I'm talking to is sitting next to me and I want to look at them and make eye contact. Like so you, you got to do this. You got to turn your head, but keep your mouth like right that. here. I'm just good like that. I'll just look forward and know you're t- I'm talking to you. Um, yeah, I will. Man, I love you, brother. I mean, I know I give you a hard time and I ride you, but man, I really don't know a better person to be around, you know, and I'm really rooting for you. And man, I just, I love you. <laughs> I love you too, brother. As much as I want to put my foot up your rear, I still got nothing but love for you, man. <laughs> hey, look, keep the boxing gloves off. Keep no, the boxing. no, no, no. Put the boxing gloves on. That way the foot's not involved and it's not, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'd take it in the face, but. Look. You have meant the world to me. You have meant the world to my family. Um, you mentor my son. He loves you dearly. Um, Freya, your goddaughter. You got a good soul, my brother. A good soul. Um, God has gifted you well and is using you well. And I, I couldn't imagine doing life without you. I mean, look, man, battle bros, right? That's it. <laughs> That's what it's about. That's it, Yes. You guys, I mean, I appreciate all you guys do for me here, man. Uh, I'm not, I can't sit and say that it's, a, it's been an easy uh, path because it hasn't even given myself over to Christ. It's still, there's still the battle. And, that, and it's good knowing that I got battle brothers like y'all mm. at my back, man. Indeed. Any final co- uh, comments, closing arguments, whatever, <laughs> closing arguments, I guess we're in court. <laughs> um, the lawyer's not here today, so. <laughs> what do you have in closing? I just want to share, uh, whoever's out there listening, if you're still in your active addiction, look, there's hope. It can be done no matter where you're coming from. I know we get we come into co- contact with individuals. Oh, you don't know what I've been through. Hey, brother, <laughs> I've been through a lot myself. And you know what? I may not know what you've been through, but I'm sure you can get through it as long as you work it the proper ways, giving yourself over to Christ and going forward with it. There is hope. Without a doubt. Uh, Steve? man, just keep working on it. Um, that's, that's the, that's the whole battle is, you know, it, it's, it's a process and it's never easy. Uh, and one of the things I was talking to one of my friends and, um, they were talking about when they got, they got baptized recently and that, um, once you kind of make that step, the devil puts a big old target on your back and aims for you. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, you may be working recovery, but all of a sudden you start really accepting Christ. All of a sudden, it ain't going to get easier. It's going to get harder because now there's that that you know, he's going to try a little bit harder to knock you off your game. And you got to be on your toes, and you got to be aware of it. I mean, it's you know, it never says it's going to be easy. Um, but I think Christ said quite the opposite. Exactly. Um, you know, but you know, everyone wants to think you know, I'll do this and everything. Life's going to be easy and. Uh, no, it's, it's work. You got to work it every day. You got to take it one day at a time, one moment at a time, and you got to get to that next day. There we go. More cliches. You got to accept <laughs> hardship is a pathway to peace. My yes. brother, <laughs> Jeremy, any last scriptures? Yeah, I was looking at, uh, I was looking at one here, uh, from, uh, Deuteronomy 31, six, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them for the Lord. Your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. Amen. Like, share, subscribe. Yeah, like, share, subscribe. Any podcast platform out there. (laughs) There you go. And we need you to like, share, and subscribe, but we also need you to leave comments. I mean, tell us us how you could relate to Derek's story. Tell us how good he did, how bad he did. And if you have a story, comment and share that you want to share it with us because we want to hear it. Yeah, because if they send an email to info at awakensober.org, we will go through those emails. And if we can't bring you into the studio... Jeremy's basement, <laughs> but it's our studio. Really, it is. if we can't bring you in here, we have great tools to get you online and yes. let you share your story. We want you. Um, we want people to hear your story. So, um, send us that email to be wonderful. With that, I'm going to tell you. What from was that me, email again? 
info at awakensober.org. It'll be in the comments. Info at awakensober.org. Yeah, it'll definitely be in the show comment. I mean, show show notes. Yeah, that's what I was looking for, show notes. Um, We don't discriminate. We'll take you from any podcast platform. (laughs) Hey, look, man. It's been fun getting it all out there. Yeah, it is. With that, God bless you guys. We love you. Thank you for being here, and have a good week. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out.